This is the MLW Radio Network. Everybody, welcome to Overbooked with Mike Freeland. This is a program brought to you by Front Row Material. As once again, you all know that we are chronicling the chapter by chapter story of Eastern Championship Wrestling through the book Hardcore History, the unauthorized story of ECW. So if you want to get caught up to where we are right now, obviously go into the archives. You can check out Chapter 1. You can also check out Chapter 2. So before we go into Chapter 3, we kind of teased about this a little bit. Let's kind of take a step backwards and let's kind of go a little bit over what happened in, in Chapter 2. So in Chapter 2, a lot of things were kind of going on here. So we know that Bob Ortiz and we know that Todd Gordon are taking over Eastern Championship Wrestling. They're going ahead and they're trying to make better decisions than what Joel Goodhart did. Instead of running the Philadelphia Convention Center, they decide to run Mike Schmidt Sports Bar. They get an opportunity to make a TV pilot. They're going to put it on Prism. They decide to go ahead and getting a little bit bigger crowds, but they're still using a lot of indie talents. They're flying in maybe one or two main stars every once in a while. Then they move into the ECW arena, and that's kind of where we're at right now. So really the framework of what would become Extreme Championship Wrestling is already in place. Bob Ortiz obviously is doing a lot of the work being the partner of Todd Gordon. Todd's the decision maker. Todd's also the main money man. Larry Winters was the booker at the time, but we did find out that they decided that they wanted somebody who had a little bit more connection, a little bit more reach within the wrestling world, a little bit more creative, somebody who had a little bit more experience. And don't think by any means this is a knock on Larry Winters at all because Larry Winters was a good dude, was a hard worker, but it was just a situation of we're growing, we need to go in another direction, and Eddie Gilbert was somebody who Todd really, really liked. He wanted to bring him in, and that's kind of what happened. He also believed that Eddie Gilbert had a different philosophy when it came to wrestling. Eddie obviously had spent some time in Memphis. You know, Todd Gordon was a big fan. We found out from the comments from Bill Apter that he was a fan of the Memphis wrestling as well. So it seemed like those two guys would meld together a lot more than maybe the direction Larry wanted to go into. So he hires Eddie Gilbert. So we're kind of wondering here, well, what's what's going on in the world of wrestling as we see it right now? So we're in January of 1993. So just to kind of give you a backdrop of how other pieces are going to come into the fold here. Bill Watts, who's in charge of WCW at the time, ends up firing Paul Heyman, who obviously was a manager at the time in WCW. And there's a lot of stories about, well, why exactly was Paul Heyman fired in WCW? And it depends on really who you ask. Bill Watts says that Paul Heyman was fired for falsifying expense reports. Paul Heyman says that he wasn't staying in WCW because he couldn't come to terms on a new contract. So we're going to leave it at that. Obviously, speculation and rumor and whatever can can run wild when it comes to wrestling. Well, Todd Gordon and Bob Ortiz decide, you know what? We want to do something a little different here. We're obviously running shows in the ECW arena. 
which was good because obviously they're drawing you know closer to 500 people now, which is double what they were getting in the Mike Schmidt Sports Bar. So they were looking to step things up a little bit, maybe create a little bit more of a buzz in the Northeast. Well, they decide to enter into a relationship, and this relationship is, need I say, sketchy <laughs> um, and, and tumultuous. Those, those are probably two good words to use. So Todd Gordon decides to reach out to another local promoter named Dennis Corluzzo. So Dennis and Todd would eventually go ahead and do a joint venture called the Battle of the Belts. But before we really get into the co-promoted event, we need to kind of talk about Dennis Corluso, and we need to talk about what was Dennis's relationship with Joel Goodhart? Was there a relationship? And what problems not only did Goodhart and Corluso have when Joel was running Tri-State Wrestling, but the fact that Dennis kind of continued that rivalry or at least the bitter sentiment when it came to his relationship with Todd, which I don't know, the more I read this kind of stuff, it's interesting because I think that some of this stuff could have been avoided in my opinion, but we'll, we'll get into it. So at the time, Joel Goodhart and Dennis Corluzzo were running separate shows in the Northeast. Dennis was trying to run what he says were cleaner shows where Joel was wanting to run bloodier shows and more can-you-top-this type of shows, and he was trying to bring in bigger stars. And Dennis's perspective from that was, you know, I get kind of what you're doing. Like, you have money, but obviously it's turning into kind of a pissing contest because you have the money to take away a lot of talent that I would like to book on my show. And because of their differences... I think in some ways Dennis saw Joel as, well, you know what, whatever you offer a guy to do a show, I'm going to call that guy and I'm going to offer him more and I'm going to have him on my show. And do I think that's a good way to do business? Absolutely not. And the reason why I think that's not a good idea to do business is for the simple fact that at the end of the day, you got you to gotta coexist. You got to be able to, if you're not a major player, you got to work with each other. You know, we learned about that in the territories where, you know, there would be promoters from Oregon or there would be promoters from Kansas City or there'd be promoters from Texas. I mean, we heard about the with Fritz von Erich, what he would do is he would talk to other territories and say, hey, you know, Vince Sr., can I bring Andre in for a two-week shot? I will send you such and such. And they would work with each other. And at the end of the day, it kept the products fresh because not everybody was being seen on the same show all the time. You could run different angles. And it just made things more appealing for you know, the wrestling fans. Plus, it gave the guys other people to work with. They could build up other feuds. They could get another payday. So I think working together when you're not a big promotion is probably in your best interest. But once again, that's just one man's opinion. So those two guys had issues with uh, with the talent, booking, money, all that kind of stuff. So I think in a lot of ways, Dennis looked at the relationship that was going to be fostered with Todd. He went into it already with a, I don't know if I can trust this guy type of deal. So when you look at the personality of a, of a Dennis Corluzzo, Dennis was a guy who was very emotional. He was very, very fiery. He was very passionate. 
And then Todd Gordon, you know, a lot of people will say was much more laid back. Todd wasn't the type of guy who was going to be confrontational. He was more of a businessman. And as Todd started to realize where Dennis was coming from, I think he could understand the issues that he had with Joel, but he also got the feeling that maybe Corluza had a bad taste in his mouth and that he wanted to be top dog. And, you know, obviously Todd wants to be top dog himself, even though he's a lot more on the mild side. So you could start to see the the, the building here of, okay, I don't think this is really going to work out. And I think a lot of wrestlers at that time started to realize, wait a minute, you know, Gordon's doing something right here. He's got a TV outlet. We've got a stable place that we're performing at. We're able to make consistent money here. We do have Dennis here as well, but Dennis already has hard feelings for Tri-State, which now became Eastern Championship Wrestling. And maybe Dennis really can't separate the lines between the two. All he sees is, oh, this is an extension of Joel Goodhart. So very few wrestlers end up taking bookings from both of them. It was it became the lines were kind of drawn. So some people would work for Todd, some people obviously would work for Dennis, but very few would would go back and forth here. So when it came to established stars, and I know we talked about it before, how Joel brought in a lot of guys and, and paid them a lot of money. Well, what Todd wanted to do was remember we talked about Todd wanted to bring in a star every once in a while. Well, he had a perfect opportunity to bring in a former star, if we want to call him that, because I think he still was a star, but the shine was was kind of off of this guy. And that individual was Kerry Von Erich. And I think anybody who knows wrestling knows the story about the Von Erich family and how difficult and emotional that was with so many tragedies that happened with their family um, and the big boom that they had down in Dallas at the Sportatorium with World Class Championship Wrestling, which was a huge deal, especially with the Von Erichs and the Freebirds. They drew so much money, but obviously that was no more. Kerry then left to go to the World Wrestling Federation. He worked there for a while. But now, and Kerry's not with the WWF, and, and we start to find out a little bit more of what led Kerry to Todd Gordon and Eastern Championship Wrestling. Kerry had some issues with substance, and, you know, he was on probation for substance abuse. He was no longer with the World Wrestling Federation. He had been let go, and from a psychological standpoint, I think Kerry struggled a lot with the deaths of his brothers. So Todd decided to bring him in because he wanted to kind of pop the crowd, and he wanted to have somebody come in that the audience had not seen for a while. Not to say Kerry was gone for a long period of time, but he was gone long enough where if he were to show up on one of their shows, it would definitely create some buzz and get some attention. So woman who was with Eastern Championship Wrestling at the time was going to bring out Carrie as a special mystery opponent, and Carrie was to be under the veil of a mask. And Kerry agreed to it. There wasn't a problem with that. So he put the mask on backstage so nobody could tell who he was. But there was a lot of people backstage that believe that that night Kerry probably was not um, – he didn't have all of his faculties. He wasn't firing on all cylinders. That his mental state of mind probably wasn't where it needed to be to be in the ring performing. So Kerry goes ahead, puts the mask on, and music plays. 
woman's out there. He's about to come out, but he's wearing his Carrie Von Eric robe that he would wear. Well, people backstage quickly said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Take the robe off. That's completely going to give it away if you walk out with your robe on because even underneath a mask, if your robe has your name on it, it's, what's the point? So Carrie went ahead and took it off, and they tossed it aside. But right before Carrie walked out, he turns around and puts it back on. So at that point in time, everybody already knew, okay, um, yeah, this is not gonna, this isn't gonna work. So Carrie goes out there. It was a one-time shot. The surprise was pretty much given away, and it, it I don't want to say it ruined the evening, but it definitely took a lot away from it, especially when you were planning for such a big buildup for your audience. Well, it wasn't too long after that show on February 18, 1993, with Carrie being on probation, and obviously he was considered very concerned about breaking his probation and potentially spending time in jail. Uh, he went back down to Dallas, and he went up to his father and borrowed Fritz von Erich, which is his dad, borrowed his pistol, and he went in the woods and he shot himself. It was tough. It was very tough, especially on the family because of so many siblings that had already been lost. So already we're getting our first taste of tragedy in the early stages, the early years of Eastern Championship Wrestling. So... On that show, The Battle of the Belts, Eddie Gilbert uh, worked the show as well. And some of you may or may not know, and I think I may have mentioned this before, I might not have, but Eddie Gilbert was also part of the creative team for Bill Watts and the UWF. And a lot of people respected what Eddie was doing. And just to kind of give you more of an insight onto Eddie as well. So Eddie ran shows a lot like they ran them in Memphis. And Eddie was a huge fan of Jerry Lawler. So when it came to that, obviously we talked about the shows in Memphis were a lot more violent. They were a lot more bloody. It was a lot different than what you would typically see in the Northeast. With Gilbert, who idolized Jerry Lawler so much, it started to become pretty evident that Eddie wanted to make Philadelphia um, the Memphis of the North. And that he basically wanted to be the Jerry Lawler of Eastern Championship Wrestling. And I think like we noticed with a lot of these stories, you know, a lot of people emulate what they have seen and what they like. And that's fine. You just have to make sure that you're making your product original and unique in itself. But a lot of influences played into Eastern Championship Wrestling. Remember we talked about Onita and when he worked for Giant Baba and All Japan Pro Wrestling and how it was a lot more counterculture to what New Japan Pro Wrestling was and how that led to a relationship with Terry Funk who Onita had a huge respect for and the way the Funks wrestled was a lot more aggressive and uh, a lot more early signs of hardcore. So a lot of this starts to kind of tie into each other and you start to understand how ECW became what it was. So Eddie obviously has a lot of power in uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling at the time. Todd is happy with the way Eddie is booking things. So remember we talked about Paul Heyman and how Bill Watts had fired Paul Heyman, re regardless of what the reason was. Paul was now available. 
So Eddie decides to call Paul and says, hey, can you come in here? Can you help out these guys with their promos? Can you be my right-hand man, et cetera, et cetera? So Paul says, absolutely. He doesn't have anything on his agenda right now. So Paul comes in and starts assisting Eddie with things. Well, just kind of a sidebar here. So Bill Watts, who was running WCW, WCW had bought Jim Crockett promotions. Uh, and Jim Crockett did want to get back into wrestling, obviously, after he sold out and it became WCW. So Crockett really liked Paul Heyman, even though Bill Watts fired him. So Jimmy Crockett wanted to get a hold of Paul Heyman as well, almost at this same exact time in 1993. Jimmy Crockett wanted to start something called the WWN, which is the World Wrestling Network. And so Paul kind of had, you know, kind of two sides vying for him at one time. Well, as this is going on, Eddie Gilbert continues to want to be the Jerry Lawler of the North. He hires Jerry Lawler's son, Kevin, and then he ends up working as a referee in Eastern Championship Wrestling. He also ends up working in the office with Eddie. So once again, it's it's very evident of the level of influence that Jerry Lawler had on Eddie Gilbert at the time. So obviously being the first person he made a commitment to, Heyman comes in, he decides to help out Eddie Gilbert, he talks to the stars and he says, hey, you know, let's work on some things here. He starts helping them with their promos and he then is talked into by Eddie Gilbert of being the manager for Eddie's stable. So Eddie was not only the booker, but Eddie was also still a performer. He was running dual and his promotion or his stable, I should say, was Hot Stuff International. So it taps back into Paul Heyman being a manager like he was in WCW for the Dangerous Alliance. Well, Gordon's pretty happy with the way things are going right now. He's got Eddie Gilbert. He, he has someone in Paul Heyman who he's starting to build a relationship with. And Gordon ends up giving Eddie 49% ownership of Eastern Championship Wrestling in July of 93. So... Todd still had 51%, so he was still the decision maker. He was still the one that everything had to go through. But Eddie Gilbert had 49% of the early stake of the company. But Eddie wasn't done. After he brought in Paul Heyman, Eddie Gilbert also decided to hire Shane Douglas. So that kind of brings into the whole story of how did Shane Douglas become part of ECW. Well, Shane Douglas also worked for WCW at the time. Shane became very um, disenfranchised with the way Bill Watts was running WCW. He was teaming up with Ricky Steamboat, but he just he wasn't very happy with the way things were being run. So Shane Douglas quits WCW. Shane becomes a school teacher, and and that's it. Shane goes on to say that he was sick and tired of the backstabbing. He was tired of the politics that were going on in WCW. He wanted nothing to do with wrestling at that time. He was out. Well, Gilbert was pretty persistent, and he continued to call Shane. And Shane said that because of his friendship and relationship with Eddie, he continued to take the calls. But even though Eddie kept asking him, Shane kept saying, no, thank you. And every time Eddie would call back, he would offer Shane more money. And Shane basically said it had nothing to do with the money. It was the fact that he had such a bad experience with WCW and he was being pushed as a babyface that he didn't feel from a creative standpoint that there was really anything left for him to do. 
On one of the final calls, Gilbert poses an idea to Shane about coming in and being a heel. Shane actually really likes the idea. So Gilbert tells him that he's going to pay him X amount of dollars if he comes in to do this show. Shane says, why not? I'll come in. I'll make a payday. I'll do this. It doesn't work out. I can just go home. I'll continue to school teach. So Shane has been brought in. And um, it's not very much longer after Shane is brought in that something starts to happen behind the scenes in Eastern Championship Wrestling. So there starts to be a rift between Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert. And a lot of people will say there was a rift between Paul Heyman and Eddie Gilbert. We'll get to that, but that's kind of secondary to what was going on between Todd Gordon and Eddie Gilbert. So what happened was Eddie was having some issues with substance abuse, and there were some people who noticed that it was affecting his work. Even though Eddie was, you know, in charge of the talent, you know, working with Paul Heyman with the promos, obviously still being a very successful performer in the ring. There were some people that started to realize that there were some, uh, there were some holes that were in the armor of Eddie Gilbert. And some of the wrestlers even said that Eddie Gilbert had made some pretty uh, harsh overtones uh, toward Todd's wife. And that was, um, that didn't go over too well. So as their kind of falling out is happening here, Paul Heyman is also realizing that things with Eddie Gilbert are starting to, to slack off a little bit. And once again, these are people's opinions. Do I know for a fact of what was going on with Eddie Gilbert at the time? I don't. But if there was some substance abuse, if he was also making some passes at Todd's wife, that obviously is not going to be a good working relationship. That's going to make things incredibly, incredibly awkward. So what ends up happening is Gilbert decides he, on his own, um, is not happy. He's not happy at all. And he's not happy at all because there was a rumor, and it it was actually more than just a rumor, but the Crockett's wanted to have a relationship with Paul Heyman. Paul was trying to decide whether he was going to stay with Eastern Championship Wrestling or not. And Todd was also thinking about having a relationship with the NWA. Eddie Gilbert does not like the idea of having a relationship with the NWA. Still wanting to find out where Paul is going to go. What's he going to do? Because the Crockett's are pushing hard for him to join their promotion so Eddie decides to leave. So when Eddie leaves, Paul becomes the new booker. Todd approaches Paul and says, hey, Eddie's out. You know, you've been working really well, working with Eddie, with the promos, with everything. Would you like to be the new booker? And now Paul has a decision to make. He's either got to say yes to Todd Gordon or he has to say yes to Jimmy Crockett. So he gets back with the Crockett's and he says, hey, where do we stand with all of this? And Jimmy tells him all the stars that they want to bring in and they want to do this thing and they want Paul to be in charge of creative. Well, everything starts to get delayed with the World Wrestling Network. And Paul basically says, first it's supposed to be this day we're going to do it. Then it's supposed to be this day. And it just didn't have consistency. And it didn't seem in Paul's eyes, and, and this is me interpreting this, that it was going to be long term that this didn't have really the foundation that 
Todd had built with Eastern Championship Wrestling. So Paul decides at the end of the day, I want to go ahead and I want to work with Todd Gordon. So that's basically how that all worked out. And when Gilbert heard that there also might be some potential relationships between ECW and Jimmy Crockett when Paul was going to be staying with them, you know, that was just more fuel for the fire that Gilbert wanted nothing to do with. So we go past that. ECW does end up joining the NWA. At the time, Tito Santana, a former World Wrestling Federation star, was Eastern Championship Wrestling's champion. However, he no-showed. And as many wrestlers will tell you, that's a huge no-no to not show up for an event. Todd did the only thing that he could do, and that was to strip Tito Santana of the championship and end up giving it to Shane Douglas. So now Shane, I mean, hell, Shane just basically got there, and now Shane is going to be the world champion. The world of NLW. 